Morning Liberty. Well, what is up, all of our Liberty-loving friends? This is another fantastic episode of the Good Morning Liberty podcast. My name is Nate, and with me, as always, is my... Fine, you're my best friend forever. Fine. Finally! I'm sick of fighting about it. Yeah. I'm sick of fighting about it. My BFF, Charles Thompson, how's it going, man? Well, now you'll finally get a paycheck. That's about time. <laughs> Look... This is a dictatorship, this business is, you know, and so now that you finally admitted. Was that the negotiation tactic? Yeah. That's yeah, a pretty that good you, negotiation tactic, honestly. I was extorting your paycheck yeah. from you, and now you yeah. can get it. That's for, what. That's how it works. For me to receive a paycheck, by the way, <laughs> I just need to type in QuickBooks and type out my paycheck, and oh, that's, yeah, all, right. that's all I have to do. Yeah. So it's <laughs> not the best negotiation tactic, but <laughs> hey, guys, thank you for checking out the podcast. This is Good Morning Liberty, where we talk about life, liberty, and the pursuit of meaning. Our number one thing here, guys, is you own yourself, and if you own yourself, what happens when you think about all these different laws and rules and regulations? You think about all those things from the prism that human beings own themselves and other people do not own those human beings. Well, then what kind of world would we live in then? I just think it would just be amazing. So amazing. If we could just get that darn coronavirus to understand that we own ourselves and it doesn't own us, then then we'd be doing just fine. Yeah. So we're chatting along with some people in the private group over here. If you want to join that, you can go to patreon.com slash goodmorningliberty. We added a few people to that over the weekend, over the last few days, and thank you so much. Chipping in five bucks, fifteen bucks, thirty bucks, whatever you get to watch us live. For just $5 a month, you're saving all that money on Starbucks, although I'm not anymore. I'll tell you, I've had like eight Starbucks coffees in the last three or four days since some of them reopened. You guys have been getting out? I went to Chattanooga this weekend and hung out with my wife's family, and uh, I wasn't going to put my own family at risk, but I was more than willing to put her (laughs) family at risk over the weekend. So we went and hung out with with her family. And uh, did some did some hiking. Went to the Okoe. Ever been to the Okoe? Because River? you said till death do us part. Yeah. And so well, I'm I'm trying to hold true to that. Right. You know. Now or later. Right. Who knows? You're who not, knows? You're not giving up on it yet. Listen. When the wife wants to go see your family, the number one thing you have to do at that point is go see your wife's family. Yeah. There's there, nothing you can say about. There's that. not a lot of Mm-mm. not a lot of other options. Coronavirus or not. Yeah. There no virus. She doesn't care, you know, virus be damned. We exactly. went and saw the thing. It was a good time. It was a really nice weekend. It's nice to get out. Yeah. Yeah. We, I, went, we went and saw my, my lady's fam as well for, for Mother's Day. So happy Mother's Day to all the mothers out there uh, who listen to this show. And uh, it was it was a good time. It was good to see people get back to normal. We, we were out in the humidity and the sun. So no coronavirus outside by the pool. Uh, we didn't get in the pool. It was too cold. But we were out by the pool. So no coronavirus out there. We checked with our it did UV get, checkers. And it did get weirdly cold this weekend. I don't yeah. know if you noticed that. It's weirdly cold on my side of the table right now, if anyone's wondering. That's why I'm wearing a coat and a hoodie and another shirt underneath that and my hat. And Charlie's just got a t-shirt on. He's yeah. just sitting over there. Living the dream. He's got the air vent right there next to him. That, it was actually a record setting temperatures. Yeah. And I know people came here for the weather, but that's not, <laughs> we told, we told our family, Hey, come over here from Arizona. It's not that bad here yeah. in Tennessee. Go ahead. And it was like 35 this weekend. It was crazy. I love it. Cause I get to start the old fireplace back up. But no, you know? as Nate, as Nate mentioned, the, we do pre-show, we do post-show. There's all kinds of cool uh, amenities and perks that you get for being part of the Patreon group. So do that at patreon.com slash good morning Liberty. And y'all, I announced 
um, a contest that we're doing. I'm asking you to be one of the first 100 people to leave a rating and review on iTunes. And you guys are doing just that. It's awesome. And I told you I'd read some of these reviews. So if you want to do that, please go to iTunes, leave us a rating and review. Once we hit a hundred reviews, I'm unlocking a $500 good morning, Liberty stimulus package, which includes $500 in cash. I'll send it to you via PayPal or cash app or something, but it's going to be cold, hard, digital quiche to <laughs> your pocket. And with that, a lifelong subscription to the Liberty Trading Academy. So you can learn how to trade and you can turn that $500 into whatever your hopes and dreams are. So that's uh, that's up to you how you want to spend that $500. Maybe you invest a little bit of it. Maybe not. I don't know. But I wanted to read a few of these uh, because you guys are just boosting our ego, which is what we needed more than anything. Because we uh, we practice what Justin Amash says, humility, and we're going to get to that in a little bit. So we are probably, we are the most, we practice humility better than anyone that I know of. Yeah, yeah. And that statement right there proves it. I am the most humane, that's not the same word, but <laughs> I am full of humility. Yes. And you're very, of, you're very humil. Yeah. Lots of people have quite a bit of humility, but nothing like I've seen us have so what's the best review you've got so um uh let's see uh, there's a there's a couple really good ones here um let's go with the newest one on friday uh this podcast well the title's upbeat fun and it's reaching my mom that's nice this podcast communicates a pro-liberty message with getting overly without getting overly philosophical, intense, or lost in the weeds. It's a nice change of pace for me from more intense stuff. Since I've been back home because of the coronavirus, my mom hears me listening to it in the mornings during breakfast. She sometimes asks questions or expresses interest, and the other day I even heard her raise a point from the show in a discussion with my dad. My mom is not political or super interested in this sort of stuff, unlike me, so their mission seems to be working for my anecdotal perspective keep up the good work oh, what a great nice. review i was happy to facilitate so nice. an argument between that guy's parents <laughs> the, i was just i was happy to be involved yeah for sure <laughs> and and uh you know i think she probably won the argument <clears throat> she here's, must have here's another good one a, f a refreshing view of politics nate and chuck provide political analysis through a lens of realism not blind party allegiance that's spot on right there as a guy from alabama it's a nice change of pace from the Republican or nothing views I often hear. Um, I will not say Roll Tide, by the way, because I am not an Alabama fan. Charlie's from Louisiana. Yeah. I can also truly appreciate the recurring use of Nate and Chuck's top-notch Southern accents from a guy from Alabama. How about that? Yeah, that sure helps our humility. These guys bring humor and insight to a world where both are in short supply. You guys are doing a hell of a job. I, you know, I had a, that was a big ask to say, hey. Please take five minutes out of your day. It's a big ask. Five yeah, minutes. That's a lot of time. Search us on iTunes. Leave us a rating and review. Even if you don't have an iPhone, you can still do it online, I, I think. I think I you think, have to have an account. But you can create an so, account and leave one. That's all, that's all we're asking. Create leave 10 that. accounts and leave one. And you know? then it's not really that big of an ask because I am. <clears throat> Good Morning Liberty is going to be giving away $500 during this pandemic time that we are experiencing. I feel like people probably need that. Stimulus. Maybe you're. People are doing this out of their own selfish want to win that five hundred dollars. That's than okay. Likely. Right? And that's okay. This is what free market capitalism is <laughs> How all about. about that? Yeah, 
Look at that. So you guys go do that. Um, it looks like we're going to be unlocking that contest pretty soon. So um, I'm I'm pretty excited about it. And I think there's only um, about 30 spots left to get in those first 100. And uh, I'm going to give five bonus entries for every single person that left a review. Okay. Five bonus That's entries. That's good. There you yeah. go. So you want to be... The only, there's only about 30 spots left. Go leave a rating review, and so I can you guys can get those five bonus entries for that contest. And we will do it live. We'll announce it live on on the on the podcast. We'll do we'll go Facebook live and all kinds of stuff. The winner. The winner. Nice. Yeah. yeah. And the winner, by the way, is whoever pays us the most money in the back door. Okay. <laughs> That's who's just like the government. No. Okay. That's who's going to win the stimulus money. That's it's, actually not true. Whoever pays for our campaign, that's who we're going to give the five hundred dollars to. Yeah. So go ahead. The largest bidder. That's who wins. Just what we need. The FBI scrutinizing our contests. <laughs> <laughs> that's true. That's not good. Okay. We were talking in the pre-show, by the way, about Justin Amash. He's clearly lying. <laughs> Justin Amash. <laughs> clearly. No, Justin Amash, you know, running on the libertarian ticket. He's now libertarian. We have a libertarian congressperson in the Washington. the first time. For the first time. And what do you know? They had to get elected as a Republican to get there. But we already talked about that last well, week. Or the no week hide before. no hair of the lady. Oh, that's okay. I don't care. Yeah. You know, that's fine. Here's, here's a question that we asked in the Patreon group that everyone was doing a great job talking back and forth on. What I was wondering is, is this a positive for the Liberty Movement? Number one, is Justin Amash being on the Libertarian ticket going to be a positive for the Liberty Movement or the Libertarian Party? And the main reason I wanted to ask that was because I saw that a few of the big libertarian people are not supporting him or at least being critical of his run thus far. And they, Which running for president opens yourself up to criticism. You should be critical. Every part of your life will be scrutinized, yeah. and it, that's, that's the way it should be. you got to figure out what the person actually believes. Yeah, and there's something I didn't know that he had said, by the way. And we talked about how if he was on the ticket— that I that I would vote for him in Tennessee, that I would vote for him. Now, this is becoming more informed, and this is also being willing to change your mind or to be open to other things, because there is something that I did not know he said, which he said back on March 20th. But before we get to that, I want to let you guys know Saturday, unless you didn't, if you, in case you didn't see it, there was a debate. It was the first Libertarian debate over Zoom. It's kind of cool. The Libertarian Party of Kentucky hosted it. They did a really good job, actually. I thought it was phenomenal. It was just as good as that Too Hot to Handle show where they did that Zoom recap. <laughs> you know? Okay, right on You know par. what I mean? Yeah. <laughs> it was just as good as one of them Netflix budgets. Good. So anyway, uh, it was a great debate, and they did hammer uh, Amash on some of his points, like immigration and different things like that, because Amash is a little bit more status like Nate is when it comes to immigration. <laughs> now, I am not, you know, I do get tired of people hating on Amash for his stance on a uh, being able to protect the borders and saying, Hey, we need a, a really easy immigration, but we still need to protect our borders because we're a sovereign nation. Whereas, you know, most libertarians are open borders, come and go as you please. You could stay here forever without it being a citizen, all this stuff. Um, but anyway, they had the debate and afterwards they opened up an online poll and they did an online poll for as many people that wanted to vote. And then they also did delegate only. And what was interesting is for the delegate only poll, they did the ranked choice voting, which I don't know if you know how that works, but what you do is you, for all the candidates, you put your first choice, your second choice, your third choice, your fourth choice, whatever. So what they do is as they eliminate the people on the bottom to get down to the top two, 
what they do is they take what that person's second choice would have been and they give those second choice votes to that person and the percentages keep going up. So after round one with everybody in there, Justin Amash won round one with 33.1% of the vote and Jacob Hornberger got 21% of the vote with a uh, Dr. Joe Jorgensen um, with 16% of the vote. Hmm. Now it's interesting by the very end of this, uh, which went to 11 rounds, I believe, because I think there's 11, 10 or 11 candidates. Um, Justin Amash was up. He won with 55.6% of the vote and Joe Jorgensen second place, 44.4%, which means Jacob Hornberger, who was leading until Amash announced, he was hardly anyone's second, third, fourth, fifth, or sixth choice. Interesting. Yeah, very interesting. <clears throat> Almost everyone's second choice ended up being uh, Joe Jorgensen. Huh. Yeah, which was very interesting. So um, she is a very smart lady. I didn't know much about her, honestly, until watching the debate Saturday. Um, but she was very interesting and very smart. She's been a lifelong libertarian. Um, and doing some cool things. So she comes in second place at Justin Amash. Now, obviously, Amash has the notoriety and the naming, and a lot of libertarians have been wanting to run and asking him to run. I saw Cliff Maloney Jr. join the group, and uh, the runs Young Americans for Liberty. They've had him out to speak, all of those kinds of things. But as Nate mentioned, and what we do on this show is we take everything seriously. We're not just going to back somebody regard because we think it might be good um, in essence for the Liberty movement, it has to be somebody that's, that is so principled that we don't fear Liberty actually being destroyed if this person moves further. And so you have to scrutinize these types of things, just like we didn't vote for Gary Johnson because there were a few key issues where Gary Johnson was too, too much against Liberty. It yeah. wasn't going to move in the right direction <clears throat> with Gary Johnson. I kind of have a cutoff point and it's, it's the use of force and you owning yourself and to me that also extends to whether or not you have a business and you having private property rights things like that gary johnson was not into that all that much so i did not vote for him now justin amash said something i did not know he said on march 20th this is a tweet from justin amash you guys you guys make up your minds on this and i'm gonna wait to hear some more from him to see what his what his standards are for this. But he says, how we defeat COVID-19. Number one, social distancing. Number two, cash relief to Americans. Now, I know why he said that. Because of the, the bailout. Well, but yeah, because he doesn't want corporate welfare. He thinks that if you're going to have a bailout, it should go to the American people. We've discussed that at length. That's actually wrong when it comes to Austrian economics. But you know why he said that as a representative? It's because the latest polling indicates 80% of Americans support cash direct payments from the government. Great. 80% of Americans, which means eight out of 10 of you listening to this podcast, <laughs> I'm pissed off. At I don't it. think so. I think we are, I think our statistical we're, sample size is a little in, bit off. We're, we're inverted. We're pulling yeah. from the, the group of people who do not support that. Yeah. So number three, he says more tests and data or data, whatever you want to say. Number four, more PPE. Number five, practical community developed standards for businesses to operate. I'll read number five again, how we defeat COVID-19. Number five from Justin Amash, practical community developed standards for businesses to operate. Mm. So this is him almost crossing my line in the sand. 
Number six, he says less red tape so more people can help and innovate. I agree with that. Number seven, humility. That seems that's important for anyone to have. Okay. So, well, and Jeff made a great point in the pre show. He probably meant humidity because we know humidity kills the virus. Yeah. Everyone should get down to Florida ASAP. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> All you folks down there in Georgia. Louisiana. George, Georgia's probably fine. Southern Georgia. Yeah. That's, that's a lot of humidity. You guys want to go hang out in Savannah? Do it. Yeah. No social distancing needed whatsoever. No. But humidity, UV, UVs. If you're up where Justin Amash is, what he's asking for is please send some humidity up to Michigan. Please. We need it. So anyway, that's his number seven. Number five was the one that bothered me the most because he says community develops standards for businesses to operate. Now, that is a massive subjective line as to whether or not. See, when I have to I have to ask this question, what would you kind sir, Mr. President Justin Amash? What are your rules for me to be able to open up my business? And if I feel like I have to ask that question, then I don't have a libertarian president. I just don't. I don't have liberty. I don't have liberty. I'm not free to operate. Yeah, regardless. Yeah, you're right. Republican, libertarian, whatever. Yeah, it doesn't matter. If I, as a business owner, have to ask and go and hope that the president comes up with some practical community developed standards for businesses to operate. Now he says community developed, so maybe he's not going to come up with. I know what he's. I know what he's missing in here. This is what you're missing. Yeah. If he would have said practical comprehensive community developed standards comprehensive if, if it was comprehensive yeah. then it would be mm. it would be logical it would be common sense common sense common community sense standards community developed comprehensive standards yeah. common sense so this just isn't something you want to hear from a potential libertarian presidential nominee no. is we need to develop rules that say whether or not you can operate your business that's not okay it is. I'm not okay with that. So I'm going to have to have some more clarification. I'm going to need him to answer this at some point in time. So before I go vote for him, listen, I, I did not go vote for Gary Johnson. I, I wrote in the candidate that I wanted to win. I did not go vote for Gary Johnson. And if he also thinks that there needs to be some arbitrary line drawn as to whether or not you have the liberty to be able to conduct your economics, then I'm not okay. I might as well just go vote for Trump or for Biden or something like why would I why would I do that so to me the question was is this good and this is where Tom Woods comes in is this good for the libertarian party to put up someone who has these types of views libertarian party obviously as a party hasn't cared that much about it they put up Gary Johnson and Bill Weld so they're they're not real big on caring about the little details like that like whether or not you actually have liberty you know they don't really care that much about that but is this good for the Libertarian Party for that to be the the beacon, the bastion, the symbol of libertarianism to be saying things like that, like the we need community developed standards for business operations? Is is that who needs to be carrying the LP torch forward? So I think that's a reasonable question. And I, I need to have him. I need to see some clarification from him yeah. on that now. So we, I wanted to say we did a, a bit of digging. But there isn't much out there. But it is interesting to note the tweet just before that one. So if you go look at his feed, the tweet just before his list, his list of seven on how to defeat COVID-19, he, he tweets and says, social distancing remains critical, but governors must carefully consider the unintended consequences of enforcement. To get through this, we need economic activity. Closing most businesses will cause massive harm to millions of people especially the sickest and most vulnerable. 
So, so how he's, does right, he, he's right about that. So he says that, but then he says practical community developed standards for businesses to operate. Yeah. What does that mean? Yeah, I don't know. I, those I, seem I don't, to be contradicting themselves. I don't like feeling like I have that subjective arbitrary line with the presidential candidate. Uh, listen, I realize then, Justin Amash would still be a much much better candidate for liberty or libertarianism than say Donald Trump would be. He's obviously more libertarian yes. and more constitutional. I don't really think that that is in question, but is that the person that you want to push forward? I don't know. I, I think that there's room for the conversation. One thing I was wondering is, is it still good for the libertarian party? Because Justin Amash can go and get on all the news programs. He's actually a congressman. He can go be on MSNBC and Fox News and and CNN, and he can go do all these interviews. He's got the notoriety to go do that. So should we, as libertarians, just be, should we support that? Because the long-term game is obviously much better if we have someone who's got more notoriety. I don't know. Yeah. I don't know. So, And I'm yeah. actually still leaning that way because I think that, you know, well, let me read. Three days later, he tweets, Economics is about life and death. Resources to sustain life don't come from a government printing press. They come from productive activity. Yeah. Amazing. But then he says, I support cash relief to address the current shock, but continually infusing cash into an idle economy will primarily cause inflation. So he knows the principles. And it seems like he believes in them, but it's like, I have to support it a little bit because 80% of Americans do. And then I'm also going to tell you that if we keep doing that, it's going to be really bad. So it's like, ah, it's a little wishy-washy, but I'm right now I'm on the fence, obviously, but I'm still leaning towards he would be the better option clearly between Trump and Biden still. Um, but this is a very important thing to, um, to consider. Yeah. Because yeah. if a president, is going to say, hey, I can set up some community standards on whether or not you can operate your business. Well, that's just wrong. Yeah. That's anti-liberty. <clears throat> so now, maybe he's saying the government and the community should put out some standards and some suggestions, mm -hmm. but governors and the federal government can enforce them. Yeah. And if that's he, what Austin just said in the live group. Right. Here. I don't know if you saw that. He said kind of the difference between OSHA and ANSI, which would be OSHA would be actual enforced safety regulation ANSI being more voluntary uh, standards for people to operate by, but but it would be more on the voluntary basis. So maybe they develop those standards. That's what he's saying. And that way the community has those standards and you know whether or not the business is operating under those standards or whether they're not. Like I said, I just think it deserves more and clarification. And people can still be free to choose like, hey, I'm going to go with, I'm going to go to McDonald's because they're following community standards. Whereas, you know, Dairy Queen or Burger King clearly is not. And then you can also choose to be like, I don't care. I'm yeah. going to go where I want to go because I'm free to choose. You end up creating your own branding company as to whether or not businesses are adhering to the COVID-19 GML standards. And we go around and we put a sticker on the door because they're keeping clean and asking people to social mm -hmm. distance. And when you go up to a door, you say, well, it looks like this place doesn't actually adhere to those voluntary standards. And here's a place on their website. And I check here on the Gmail website. It looks like they do adhere to those standards. And uh, therefore, I'm going to give them my business. Yeah, I'm totally cool with that. Like I said, I think this deserves some more clarification on his part, especially if he's going to be running as the Libertarian nominee for president. He needs to clarify that statement. So we'll see I if agree. he does it. I but agree. Um, we've got so 
Charlie, you pulled up a tweet earlier about Elon Musk, and interesting stuff with Elon Musk happened over the weekend. Amazing. So he was, uh, you know, doing his thing again, for sure. He might be the most libertarian CEO right now. He could be. <laughs> I mean, he sounds like a straight-up libertarian. Yeah. I, if I imagine I'm him, selling he's, all my possessions. Yeah, he's wearing like a 1700s get up right now, like yeah. a little little tan vest and a white button up shirt <laughs> and carrying an axe with a bunch of blood all over it. You know, that's that's what Elon Musk looks like right now to me. So <laughs> he says that they, now they're following filing a lawsuit against, I believe, Alameda County, Alameda County, Alameda County in California, because they're not allowed to reopen right now. And he wants to reopen the Tesla factory. So he's very upset about this and now says that they uh, are looking to move Tesla out of California, potentially to Texas or Nevada. Is that like 20,000 jobs or something like that? It's, it's quite a few. Yeah. Quite a few. So this is from, I pulled an, I pulled an article from the Daily Wire. Thanks, Ben. Says the final straw. Elon Musk says he'll move Tesla headquarters out of California, file lawsuit over restrictions. By the way, we talked about him tweeting about how Tesla's stock price was overvalued in his opinion. And we we mentioned that he hates, hates, hates short sellers, hates them, has has spoken out against people shorting the market a lot, very often. And we said, after he said that, that this could be a grand plan to burn out a bunch more short sellers who were going to try and go short on Tesla, and then they were going to get burned. And you saw their stock go from 700-something down to 623, something like that, after he tweeted. Yeah. The CEO of the company tweets, Tesla's stock price is overvalued, in my opinion. <laughs> and of overpriced. course, their stock overpriced. Their stock crashes after that, you know, yeah. just they're like 10%, 11% decline. Yeah. And then, of course, they're back over that high now. I mean, they're back They're back up to, what, 800? Eight, uh, trading over 800 now. Yeah. I think it's like 850. He's, uh, I'm, I swear, he's got a plan when he does stuff like this. Anyway, Tesla CEO Elon Musk, who has recently drawn national attention for strong rebukes of government authority, Admits the, uh, you know what, revealed on Saturday morning that the company's headquarters in Fremont, California, would immediately begin moving to either Texas or Nevada. The CEO's announcement, which took the form of a tweet, that's how you announce things these days, <laughs> a tweet response to someone who encouraged, encouraged Tesla to file a lawsuit against Alameda County, called the local government barring the company from reopening with reduced capacity on Friday, the final straw. Musk responded to the individual by saying that his company would indeed file a lawsuit against the county and that the decision on whether to completely remove manufacturing from the area instead of just the headquarters and unnamed Tesla programs would be dependent on how well the company is treated going forward. Tesla, this is from Musk, Tesla is filing a lawsuit against Alameda County immediately. The unelected and ignorant interim health <laughs> officer of Alameda is acting contrary to the governor, the president, our constitutional freedom, and just plain common sense. This is, this, this is Elon Musk here saying that the unelected and ignorant health officer <laughs> is acting contrary to the governor, yeah. president, the, the, our constitutional freedom, and common sense. I mean, I love it. I just love it. This is good. He says, frankly, this is the final straw. Tesla will now, this just, rem that reminds me of, of office space when Milton, you know, they, they finally take his, his stapler. Goes, stapler. That's, that's the final straw. <laughs> frankly, this is the final straw. Tesla will now move its headquarters and future programs to Texas or Nevada immediately. 
If we even retain Fremont manufacturing activity at all, it will be dependent on how Tesla is treated in the future. Tesla is the last car maker left in California. So pretty good. Pretty good stuff. Hey, pretty good negotiating. So there. Alameda County announced early last week that it would enact stricter public health measures alongside six other counties in the Bay Area. than the coronavirus guidelines that Governor Gavin Newsom has been rolling out. Uh, the New York Times reports that Musk told employees on Thursday that returning to work was voluntary, by the way. Returning to work is voluntary and that he would be on the line personally helping wherever he can. He's known for doing this, by the way. He was sleeping in the factory overnight, uh, famously to figure out how to put together a Tesla faster. Uh, personally, took apart a Tesla and put it back together on his own so he could look at all the ways he could make it more efficient. So he's not, he's not afraid to be hands-on, okay? Anyone who did not wish to return to work was free to take paid leave or unpaid leave whichever was available to them. So anyway, what do you think about this, man? Mr. Well, I, Musk. I know one of the California assembly women tweeted back at him and said, F you. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. She, and then she kind of said another tweet. It was like, just to clarify, <laughs> you know, uh, you're going against health and safety standards. And this is a, a company that's known for bullying unions and all of this stuff. And you're just a bad company. And, you you're you know you basically you um you care about profits over people's health and safety and that's not who musk is actually no, at all no he just is like how can my local government go go against what the governor's already said and even even those restrictions are still too high let's say and he's like well <clears throat> how can an unelected bureaucrat an interim health officer just make these arbitrary rules yeah and he so they planned to reopen and they were about to to restart their production and from the uh, alameda county interim health officer she said we have not given the green light we've been working with them looking at some of their safety plans but no we have not said that it is appropriate to move forward no, that's not from Justin Amash. That is from Dr. <laughs> Erica Pan, the Alameda County Interim Health Officer. So they're just saying, no, we have not deemed it appropriate for you to reopen your just facility, sir. One person can decide that. Yeah. Isn't yeah. that nice? Isn't that crazy? Mm. Just mm. one person can be like, yeah, mm, we don't think it's okay. Yeah. It's like, what? How? How can this be? So, I mean, listen, Musk is what? a really smart guy. He's what? a genius. Free market. Can anybody tell me what free market when a, a health official, an interim one, can decide things like this? Yeah. Can decide that Tesla, the largest electric car manufacturer, cannot operate. You're not allowed. Just not allowed to operate. That's that's that's, that's free market capitalism. Starts at its with a C right and ends with capitalism. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. Exactly. <laughs> you do the math. Yeah. Okay. So we got one from CBS. Charles. Tell me about a trade-off that we might be looking at. And this Whoa. is crazy news. I I wish we would have thought about this sooner, but I can't believe we haven't been talking about this. Yeah. It's yeah. it's good that CBS has decided to do some research on this. That way they can finally put some of the other story out there. I don't know. This is from CBS News. Coronavirus pandemic may lead to 75,000 deaths of despair from suicide, drug and alcohol abuse study says. 
COVID-19 has directly claimed tens of thousands of U.S. lives, but conditions stemming from the novel coronavirus, rampant unemployment, isolation, and an uncertain future could lead to 75,000 deaths from drug or alcohol abuse and suicide, new research suggests. Who would have thought? Man. 75,000, that's pretty low, actually, according to the latest estimates. Yeah. But still, that's that would literally double the numbers. Mm-hmm. Yeah. By the way, did you see that terrible, sad video? Of the guy who lost his son, he said I did coronavirus see that, yeah. killed my son. I did see that? Um, and this kid hung, he hung himself. I saw that. Yep, from isolation and all kinds of stuff. <clears throat> uh, deaths from these case causes are known as deaths of despair. So they have a name for them. Even I wonder why nobody was talking about this. Mm. And the COVID nineteen pandemic may be accelerating conditions that lead to such deaths. Weird. Quote: Deaths of despair are tied to multiple factors like unemployment, fear and dread, and isolation. Prior to COVID-19 pandemic, there were already an unprecedented number of deaths of despair. We wanted to estimate how this pandemic would change that number moving forward, said one of the study's authors, Benjamin Miller. His, he's chief strategy officer for Wellbeing Trust in Oakland, California. Prior to the COVID-19 pandemic, the Wellbeing Trust reported that more lives had been lost to deaths of despair in 2017 than ever before. Quote, the primary response at the time was to look at the opioid epidemic, but that didn't even come close to cracking all of the issues of mental health related to deaths of despair. Many things can contribute to deaths of despair, including loneliness, loneliness, isolation, a lack of belonging, limited access to affordable health care, systematic racism, trauma and financial concerns like a lack of housing and food, according to the Wellbeing Trust. Now, this is very interesting because although you know, like our review, we don't get too deep philosophically, but I do think that we have a decent knack for some philosophical things. And that one of the main things being that good morning Liberty is all about life, liberty, and the pursuit of meaning, Mm -hmm. because you have to have a reason to get out of bed. You have to have a a meaning to pursue in life, something that, that gets you going a, a big goal that you can move forward to every single day, because if not, it leads to depression and then ultimately death. And here it's a death of despair. So the loneliness, the isolation, the lack of belonging, all of that is what what leads to ultimately death, which is why it's so important to find what your meaning is in life and, and continue to pursue it. The researchers pointed to several factors from the t- pandemic that could make problems worse. The potential for a serious, even deadly infection from a previously unknown microbe, an unprecedented economic shutdown. Ding, ding, ding. Mm. Wow. It's like we did. We talk about that for about two months. Mm, No, I haven't heard anyone mention Mm. that this could cause deaths. Mm. No, no, I've never heard that before. Skyrocketing unemployment. Hmm. Weird. I wonder if that leads to deaths. I feel like maybe. Yeah. According to this study, months long social isolation. This is something that's getting to me. If it Mm. wasn't honestly... I think this show does a lot of good for me because this show is part of pursuing my meaning. And if it I, honestly, I don't think if it, if it wasn't for the show, I would really be feeling the effects of, of long months, long isolation. I don't do well. I'm a seven on the Enneagram scale. I've got to get out. Charlie likes to be going. around other people and be doing things. Yes. Yeah. My worst nightmare is a week in the hole. Yeah. <laughs> See, this is if like you've seen Sawshank Redemption. I mean, this is like I, I couldn't imagine a better time to be alive. It's crazy. You know, I just 
It, uh, I could this shutdown could have happened, and I could have been working from home and just never known about it ever, <laughs> and I would have been totally fine. Never venture you know? out. I don't. I don't. I don't have to have that. But a lot of people do. Yeah, a lot of people do have to have that. I need other people. Uncertainty about treatment and prevention strategies. A new uh, the new study combined information on deaths of despair in 2018. Nearly 182,000 people with projected unemployment levels from 2020 to 2029 and economic modeling. This is just absolutely insane. And of course, you guys probably picked up on our sarcasm. This is something we've been talking about for weeks. Yeah. For weeks. And what's it's actually kind of cool that people on the left are starting to see. Yeah. That maybe they'll maybe there's maybe you can't shut down everything like AOC wants. And never go back to work and just collect money from the government. Well, I tweeted, Maybe that's not the best idea. I tweeted over the weekend that as we get closer to the election, the left is going to have to start talking more about how bad the economy is. You see that that's they can they can slowly talk about how the economy doesn't matter and be pushing for it to be completely destroyed. And now they can shift back around here in a couple months and start talking about how the bad economy is killing people. And so they'll be able to make this transition over the summer to how the bad economy and unemployment and Trump's economy is actually yes. killing people. And so either way, if you're Trump, you're it's heads I win, tails you lose is the game that he's involved in right now. He could reopen the economy and stop a lot of the deaths from despair. But then, of course, every single coronavirus death will continue to get blamed on him. And then if you don't open back up the economy, which, by the way, we're not really waiting on the president of the United States to reopen the economy. It's more the states that need to do that. But if you do reopen the economy, well, then, you know, you got every coronavirus death. If you don't, then every death from despair is going to be blamed on you as well. So there's there's not an amazing answer right now. What would have been better is if we would have considered this as a potential problem a, a month or so ago, a couple months ago, before we destroyed 30 million jobs. I think what a lot of people don't realize is that there are a lot of people, you know, you talked about that sad story about the kid who killed himself and the dad was talking about it. What a lot of people don't realize is you could look at that story and you could say, well, that's a ridiculous reason for that kid to have killed himself. You know, I don't know, his remote control got broken or something like that. His monitor. His monitor got broken and it was the, it was the final straw and that was it. And I think what a lot of people who aren't depressed or aren't in that stage don't realize is that there are a lot of people who are on the edge all the time that are that are on that edge. And if things go right enough times, it, it keeps you from ever going over that edge. But there are potentially hundreds of thousands of people who are standing on that line and waiting for one more terrible thing to happen before they before they decide to do something terrible they're and already thinking life's not worth they're, it they're already in that they're position. just looking for one more reason to be like okay i'm right and so life isn't worth it we might as well end it what you're going to have when this happens is you're going to push way more people over that line than what you normally would all the people that were on that line but we're going to find something good to look forward to that we're going to end up not doing that terrible thing end up not ever having that and they end up just continuing to sink lower and lower and then they and then they end up and then they end up doing something bad and you need these things to keep picking you up and giving you something to wake up for every single morning and something to look forward to whether it's seeing your friends in school or 
you were pursuing a business goal or some type of big goal in life. And when you, when you do this, you take millions of people and you tell them that there's absolutely nothing to look forward to. It reminds me of, it reminds me of those kids that were testifying in front of Congress talking about climate change. And I remember thinking about them saying that they feel like they can't have any fun or they have nothing to look forward to, or they feel like they have no future. And there's already a lot of people who feel like that. And when you do this to the economy, you take all of those people and you remove the very last glimmer of hope that they possibly would have had. And I think that that has to be considered. I think this thing is way low on its numbers. It's its projection, the 75,000, which Charlie's going to read here in a minute. Of course, CBS has to point out, this is just a model projection. And if something different happens, well, then we're not going to hit these terrible models. And, you know, just means something good has to happen. Of course, when you're talking about other models that say project 2 million people are going to die from coronavirus or we're all going to die in 10 years from climate change, they're not going to put in the article. That's well, settled science. Of course, this is just a projection based on the current data. And if something changes, then the projection is completely going to change. They're not going to say that. But in this one where they're talking about people committing suicide based on this, they're like, well, you know, something good could happen and this is just a model and we'll get new data next next month and this could all be completely different. That part really burns me up about this. I said it before you actually got to it. So proceed. The upshot. With a rapid recovery and the smallest impact on, impact on deaths of despair, the COVID-19 pandemic would lead to nearly 28,000 additional deaths of despair. But a very slow recovery combined with the greatest impact of unemployment could result in more than 150,000 deaths of despair, the study estimates. Now, we ran the numbers um, based on economic studies that have that have been done throughout the years, and it estimates about 40,000 deaths for every 1 million person you add to unemployment. Now, we're over 30 million people. Yeah. April was 20 million. Uh, it shattered the record by... 25 to one. The The record was September or October of 2008. It was like 897,000 jobs lost. We, it was 20 and a half million jobs lost in the month of April. So that's something like 22 to one. So that record has been shattered. It's, it's 30, 35 million people unemployed. And so like, what if you just cut that number in half, 15 million, or let's do 10 million. You're looking at 400,000 plus deaths yeah. of despair, which is what we've been telling you. Now they're saying, uh, you know, 150. But even so, how many coronavirus deaths did we have? We're hovering around 90. Eight, yeah, probably 80, 90,000. 90, 90, 90, looked. So literally, you're going to double that number in economic deaths. It was worth the shutdown. Anyway, quote, the isolation is causing people to lose boundaries on their behaviors. Miller explained, for example, with social norms on the back burner, some people are doing things they wouldn't normally like drinking in the middle of the day. If that becomes a habit during social isolation, it may be hard to break. That could lead to alcohol abuse and possibly later health problems. Who would have said that? Oh, that's crazy. Miller pointed out that the study is a projection, and then projections can be imprecise. <laughs> Plus, estimates can change for the better when people start tackling the problems. The researchers said the biggest way to help prevent some of those deaths is to get people back to work. Huh. Wow. Quote, people have to be working, and we have to get people connected to other people, Miller said. You know, it's just like that kid who was teetering on the line, and, you know, maybe a broken monitor isn't a big issue to you, but maybe to a you know, I think it was 13, right? 13 mm -hmm. or 14 year old. That's his biggest deal in life right now. Yeah. And he broke the monitor. He got in trouble for it. And then his dad and his grandpa helped him fix it. And he got it working again. And then he he broke it. And that was his final straw. And maybe 
had he been in school, like his da- like his dad said, he would have you know he would have had something to go to to distract him maybe a little bit, and then he, maybe he could have vented to one of his friends about it. You know, got it off his chest. Maybe he wouldn't have been in the situation so where he, he broke the monitor because he would have been gone or doing something right. else. Or, or maybe he could have vented, got it off his chest. Maybe his friend would have been like, hey, you're not so much of a loser. It's just a monitor, man. He'd be like, oh, yeah, you're right. Yeah. It's just a monitor. We can replace it. Or that. be like, I broke this, but hey, I still get to see my friends and stuff every day. So right. there's still, I, you know, I still get to hang out with my friends at school and all yeah. that. There's just all these things pile up for people. And how Marie said, get people back to work. Yeah. I mean, that gets people some meaning. I mean, we, we all we all know this, and that's crazy that this article is, is finally saying that, that this could give people some type of purpose. You just need a purpose yeah. in your life. God, we, I've talked about it a bunch of times. No matter where you're working, whether it's Walmart, McDonald's, a healthcare company, whatever it is, you, you can find purpose in what you do every single day. A lot of people go to McDonald's and eat there because maybe it's the only thing they could afford. Maybe it actually sounded good somehow. There's all kinds of reasons that people go there. And when you serve them food, you fulfill the purpose of, of feeding someone. And every single person on the whole planet needs food. If, if you're at Walmart and you're working, people have to go there for their groceries and to be upset about there being no toilet paper. There's all reasons, all kinds of reasons that you have to go to Walmart. So if you work there, you're fulfilling a purpose every single day whether you like your job or not, and even just that little bit of purpose right there, like I I provided value for someone. It, when that's taken away, you don't know the exponential effects that can end up having with a lot of people who are just teetering on the edge right now. We don't know how many people those actually are. It's an unseen problem. We don't We don't see this every year because a lot of those people don't end up going over that edge. So we don't know exactly what it is. But these little losses pile up in your life and eventually one small thing can happen and and you end up and you end up doing something terrible. It's amazing what changing your attitude about your job can actually do. You know, I remember when I was working at McDonald's, you bring that up as an example. I actually worked there for a little over four years. I became a manager very young in my career when I was 17 years old. And one reason why, a couple of reasons why was I always took pride in what I did because it reflected on me. You know, it's like from the Patriot, you know, you serve me and the manner in which you serve me reflects upon me. And so you're serving yourself. It doesn't matter what job you do. I don't care if you're shoveling gravel or if you're the CEO of a company or whatever you do, your work, what you produce reflects upon you as a person. And so to me, it doesn't matter what job you have. If you, if you just take a little bit of pride and you change your attitude about it, like maybe as Jordan Peterson would say, maybe your boss is a brute, you know, <laughs> maybe he is, maybe he's an asshole and you need to get out from your situation or she, it could be a she too. They're managers now. God. <laughs> God. It could be either or back in the fifties. Maybe they weren't Nate. Yeah. Okay. I understand. But Whoever it is, maybe maybe your boss is terrible. Maybe you do need to get out of your get out of the situation that you're in. But with whatever situation you're in, like having a job is meaningful. And so if you can change your attitude and take a little bit of pride in what you're actually doing, see what kind of difference that can actually make. I used to hear these kids all the time, even though I was a kid myself, they would say all the time as I would, you know, correct them on or or I would encourage them. It wasn't really much of a correction. I, I, I kind of took the management style as I do today in our business, which is more of encouragement and, and allowing people to 
be themselves and those types of things. But I would say things like, Hey, you know, make sure, you know, if the customer says, thank you, you say, thank you too, or whatever, like just be encouraging. And he's like, so many people all the time told me, it's like, why does anybody care? This is just McDonald's. No one cares about McDonald's. This job is stupid. I'm like, what? But you do care. Like when you, when you go to McDonald's and you have a bad experience, you care, you care about that. You get upset. You're like, oh gosh, oh, these people want to get paid $15. Like you end up having a bad, you, you have a bad negative feeling because they messed up your order. Your food wasn't fresh or your fries are terrible. And you just waited in line for a few minutes. Like you care about that and it affects your day. So it, it absolutely matters. Right. I would tell myself that when I was waiting tables, like when my wife and I go out to a restaurant for an important, it's an anniversary, it's a date, it's whatever, we don't get to go do that a whole lot. So when we go out and we have a bad experience, that matters. Or if we go out and we have a good experience, that matters. Like that's part of your life. And so as a server at a restaurant, you can tell yourself that. Like this is this couple's date. This is their family dinner. This is this is their anniversary that they had to celebrate whatever anniversary it was, or this was their birthday. I need to make sure that they that these people have a positive thing in their lives today. And and I can help with that. You know, you can find meaning in every single thing. And we're depriving a lot of people of that right now. That that's the point. Right. It is. Well, and also the other point too is like if if you you know, talk crap about your job all the time and you hate going to work every single day and all that. Or do you think you're one person that your boss wants to promote? You know? Yeah. Like, and I'm not saying this to toot my own horn because I am full of humility, but I did <laughs> like, I became a manager at 17 after only working at McDonald's for a year. When I started when I was 16, I became a manager a year later because I was someone who took pride in my job. I took initiative to learn everything. And I actually cared about serving people the terrible food that there that is there because people came for the terrible food. They do have the best Coca-Cola, by the way. So if you if you want an ice cold Coca-Cola to drink, not zero, but if you want the actual real ice cold Coca-Cola, um, then it's McDonald's Coke ranks number one. It's it's the it's, best. It, yeah, hands down. And I will fight anybody on that. But <laughs> but no, I'm, to be serious about this, it's it's like if you like say the job whatever you're in now, it doesn't matter if you're an office job or whatever. What if you took some pride and some initiative and, and you changed your attitude about your job? Like maybe you still need to leave and, and you need to update your, your resume and get some education or whatever you need to do to be able to move to transition because, of course, there's terrible jobs out there. But what if you change your attitude a little bit about it? Do you think that you would make yourself valuable? Would you make yourself someone that they would promote? And then maybe you would have a different perspective. You know, like, you know, do you know, like general managers at restaurants at, at uh, well, regular restaurants and even McDonald's, you make like 60, 70 grand a year. Mm -hmm. It's not a, it's not a terrible job. Mm -mm. Let's say, you know, like you're, you're middle class at that point. So is McDonald's all that bad? I mean, we talk all the time and the CEO of Walmart used to stock shelves. Do you think if that guy came in every single day complaining about his job? Oh, I got to stock the shelves again today. Oh, Bob's an asshole. My manager's a dick. You think they're going to promote him to CEO one day? Or do you, do you think that guy came in every single day? It was like, I'm going to stock the sh out of these shelves, mm -hmm. man. I'm going to do Bob's job and Lily's job. And then obviously you move up the ranks and now he's a CEO making 20 something million dollars a year being hated by most people in America. And you can finally make it that's there. A, that's a great place to be hated. Do you think the CEO got to be one of the most hated people in the world by not working hard or by right. hating his job? No, right. he probably took pride in it more and than it, likely. And I guarantee you stocking shelves at Walmart was a terrible job. 
It probably no one wants to do. But look at where it can get you if you change your attitude about it. Having a job and doing something important is not only valuable for you and it gets you out of bed, it's valuable for everyone that's around you. And then if you if you take some pride in what gets you out of bed every single day in the morning, who knows where it could lead you? And this is this is the part of the meaning podcast that we talk about all the time. Like, yes, life and liberty are, are obviously important. We're against death. So obviously we're for life. And then you need liberty to be able to make the best life possible. But you have to pursue something meaningful and a job is meaningful. And now that we have 35 million people out of a job, 35 million people, for the most part, may have lost their meaning. And that leads to economic deaths that it's hard to calculate for, which could be worse than the virus. And I'm going to say it is going to be worse than the virus, which is what we've been talking about this whole freaking time. And no one wants to interview me on CNBC (laughs) yet. (laughs) <laughs> you make too much sense. I don't want to have you on CNBC. Come too on. Too much science, man. <laughs> One more uh. thing on this. This came from the Atlantic. This is the same. Listen, now coming from the Atlantic. Headline, take the shutdown skeptics seriously. I'm telling you, they they have to shift towards this now. Because as the economy gets worse and worse, they need to to point all of this out. Are you reading the live group? It's pretty I am. Funny. I'm catching yeah, up. Yeah. <laughs> They say, should states ease pandemic restrictions or extend lockdowns and shelter-in-place orders into the summer? That question confronts leaders across the U.S. Trump says that we have to get our country open, and many governors are moving quickly in that direction. Critics are dismayed. Citing forecasts, the COVID-19 deaths could rise to 3,000 per day in June. They say that reopening without better defenses against infections is reckless. That assessment might be correct. And you could actually say that, uh, you know, they, they might be right. It could be 3,000 a day. Listen, they, they might be correct. Of course, we all we are working off of projected models on that, for sure. The but these this, are settled science projections. This, is science, this yeah. is science, for sure. We can't talk about how these projections could get better. In a CNN, let's see, the columnist Amy Z. Quinn said the Trump administration is choosing money over lives. In a CNN News analysis, Daniel Burke offers this characterization of America's choice. Should we reopen the economy to help the majority or protect the lives of the vulnerable? And so that's what we're talking about. This has been the talking point for a long time, that you're choosing money over lives if you want to reopen the economy. But actually, the more we go into this, you could be choosing lives over lives and be needing to do an actual calculation onto which one of these is going to kill the most amount of people. And a bad, a, a terrible, depressed economy could end up killing way more people than the virus. We are still going to stick by that, okay? I'd still believe, and Charlie just said it too, that the economic response to, to COVID-19 is going to kill more people than COVID-19. I still believe that. Denunciations of that sort cast the lockdown debate as a straightforward battle between pro-human and pro-economy camp, but the actual trade-offs are not straightforward. Set aside flattening the curve, which will continue to make sense. Some of that makes sense, like you don't want to overwhelm the healthcare facilities, you know, which we never actually did. Uh, so these debates, they're ongoing. In fact, some are going out of business. Some some hospitals are actually going out of business. And then you could end up overwhelming the healthcare systems because you put a whole bunch of hospitals out of business and then they're not going to be there for the second wave. We'll see. Our, uh, our ongoing owner shutdowns warranted because what is necessary to avoid overwhelming ambulances, hospitals, and morgues? The answer depends in part on an unknown. How close the country is to containing the virus. 
This is really important because, listen, if we are getting, let's, now I still, as a libertarian, would not be able to put out regulations and tell businesses that they couldn't open and tell people they couldn't go in public. But you could make more of an argument for this if, say, Johnson & Johnson were two weeks away from mass producing the vaccine and we were all going to have a vaccine that we may or may not take, we'll see. And we're all going to have that in a couple of weeks. So maybe we'll decide that we should stay home for a few more weeks and then we can get the vaccine and then we can go out. Maybe then I'll decide to go see my parents, something like that. But when we're left in this situation where we have we have no end in sight to this, we, we there is no end. Remember, we have a vaccine for the flu. We've had one for quite some time now. And we still have 50,000 people die every single year. And we've had a vaccine for the flu for a really long time. Mm. We've got Tam. So there's therapeutics for the flu. There's prophylactics for the flu. You know, there's things that can stop it, stop you from getting it. There's things that can help you if you do get it. And we still have 50,000 people die every single year from the flu. So it's not obvious that as soon as we have a vaccine, we'll magically all take the vaccine and then there won't be any more coronavirus. And then we can go around and do whatever we want. That's, that's not obvious right now. So this quote, the public, the media, the business community, and policymakers are largely unprepared for a pessimistic scenario. The Foundation for Research on Equal Opportunity argue in a recent white paper. White paper. That is, the U.S. may have no treatment, no vaccine, and no ability to scale up testing and quarantining due to technical hurdles or the Trump administration's incompetence or lack of public buy-in. So we'll have to throw that in there, too. But we might be putting out of lockdown, we won't be locking down all the businesses and telling you you can't leave your house with no goal or no end in sight. That's why the goalpost keeps getting moved. No one really knows what the number is. What number of coronavirus deaths every single day or number of new cases says that it's okay for us to reopen everything? We're never going to hit zero coronavirus deaths. We're not going to hit zero new cases. So what's the number? That's what I want to know. If we knew that the broadly effective COVID-19 treatment was imminent, or that a working vaccine was months away, minimizing infections through social distancing until that moment would be the right course. At another extreme, if we will never have an effective treatment or vaccine, and most everyone will get infected eventually, then the costs of social distancing are untenable. We don't know where we sit on that spectrum. By the way, we don't know. Anyone that says that they know does not actually know. This is, we're going to continue getting more and more data on this and the models and the predictions will continue to change. So we cannot know what the best way forward is, even if we place the highest possible value on preserving life and protecting the vulnerable. That uncertainty means, at the very least, that Americans should carefully consider the potential costs of prolonged shutdowns, lest they cause more deaths or harm to the vulnerable than they spare. Yeah, who's mo- who is the most vulnerable when it comes to an economic shutdown, the poor, you think it's the rich. Yeah. <laughs> That's the thing. Like the, the, the rich are going to, they're, they're going to be okay. Yeah. They're, they're rich. They'll be fine. Yeah. You know, it's, it's the poor that you actually have to do this calculation with. And it's you, you know, maybe if you're uh, looking at just humanity, you could actually look at that number over vast amounts of countries and Africa and everything where we could have millions of people starve to death because of these, this economic depression that we're about to be in. Even in America, it's the working class. And the working class. You know, like most people don't even have a $400 for an emergency expense. Yeah. You know, who do you think, the 35 million people that lost their jobs, what do you think they're going to be doing? They're going to be homeless? 
Yeah. I've, and suicides and, and what else is it going to cause? Ongoing closures and supply chain interruptions in wealthier countries have catastrophic ripple effects. Michael T. Clare warns in The Nation, highlighting the possibility that global starvation could soar. Even where supply chains remain intact, many poor countries lack the funds to pay for imported food, he said. This has long been a problem for the least developed countries, which often depend on international food aid. It is becoming even more severe as the number of people without jobs multiplies and donor countries balk at higher aid expenditures. His article wasn't brief. Uh, so this we talked about how they were projecting almost a doubling of the world hunger rates because of what's happening right now. Almost like over 100 million people added to world starvation rates. And that's going to it's literally going to cause the deaths of millions of people. If that number actually does double, if we actually do add 100 million more people into the world hunger rates and a percentage of them actually do die of starvation, you're literally talking about millions of people that could die simply because of the economic shutdowns. A prolonged depression will stunt lives as surely as any viral epidemic, and its toll will not be confined to the elderly. Heather McDonald argues at Spectator USA, the shuttering of auto manufacturer plants led to an 85% increase in opioid overdose deaths in the surrounding counties over seven years, according to a recent study. Deficit spending may be necessary to keep people afloat, she continued, but the wealth that permits it could quickly evaporate. Hmm. Let me read that again. Deficit spending may be necessary to keep people afloat, but the wealth that permits it could quickly evaporate. You're saying we're going to run out of other people's money. I would never. That You just care more about money than people's lives, man. You're telling me <laughs> we're eventually, if you tax nothing. You're not going to get anything from you it. Don't, yeah, you yeah. get nothing in return. A 99% tax rate on zero is still <laughs> zero, just so everyone wow. knows. Yeah, That's how math works. At Arc Digital, uh, <laughs> Esther O'Reilly asks, why should we assume that a crashing economy will leave the healthcare system standing? That's, a, that's a, you know, oh, how we fix this? We give people free health care. With what? With what money? Yeah. With what wealth? Where does the wealth come from? The economy. Okay. It ha you got to have an economy to have the wealth to be able to give people free stuff. If you don't have the economy, then there is no wealth. There is no income tax. There's nothing. Weird. All right. You this is weird. All right. You can't keep the hospital lights on without keeping on the lights of the economic sectors under undergirding it. Yes, our doctors and nurses are running out of masks and gloves, which is a serious problem. It would also be a serious problem if we lost the means and the manpower to make more or if the hospitals ran out of cash on hand to buy more beds, ventilators, etc. And there's the rub. We are being told that we can't fight the virus without pausing the economy. Yet we can't fight the virus without the economy. <laughs> well, look, the first thing I got to note there, she said, there's the rub, which Rebbin's racing. Just so you know, race, hail, praise, Dale, Rebbin's racing. <laughs> okay. okay? Yeah, right. well, that's, but, good to, that's good to know, man. Sure. <laughs> just want everybody to know that. Talladega all right. Nights, all right? Rebbin's racing. But no, this, is, this might be the most important sentence, she says. A few of them here that are really good. But we're being told we can't fight the virus without pausing the economy. Yet we can't fire, fight the virus without the economy. What happens when all the money disappears? How much PPE can you buy with zero? How, how much how PPE can you make with zero? How many ventilators can you buy with zero? How many ventilators can you make with zero? No. How, how many vaccines can you make with zero? I'll get a calculator out, but multiplying all those things times zero, I'm pretty sure I can do the math on that one. Right. So 
this is what we've been taught. God, it, I'm glad everyone else is catching up. Yeah. I mean, they, this does wor- wonders for our humility, by the way. <laughs> <laughs> well, I'm the, I'm, I have the most I'm humility. I'm so humble. I'm, I'm better at humility than yeah. anyone, okay? <laughs> this is what we've been talking about for weeks. Weeks on end. <laughs> and the weeks end. The school closures, school closures may do long-term damage as well. A recent study in The Lancet concluded that the evidence for the effectiveness of school closures and other schools' social distancing measures comes almost entirely from influenza outbreaks, and that the effectiveness of school measures in the coronavirus outbreak is uncertain. Another article in The Lancet noted that education is one of the strongest predictors of the health and wealth of a country's future workers. And the impact of long-term school closure on educational outcomes, future earnings, the health of young people, and future national productivity has not been quantified. A given closure could add months to the lives of some and subtract from the lives of other, of others. So they're saying the closure could add months to some people, but it could be taking away months from other people. This is the, this is the whole, we need to do the math. I'm sorry. But just magically closing down the economy because you want to save someone from the coronavirus is not a good thing if you just killed someone else from something else or you killed two people from something else. You can't feel good about yourself when you're doing that. I'm sorry. I'm not going to let it happen. The general point is that minimizing the number of COVID-19 deaths today or a month from now or six months from now may or may not minimize the human cost of the pandemic when the full spectrum of human consequences is considered. The last global, de- global depression created conditions for a catastrophic world war that killed roughly 75 to 80 million people. Is that a possibility? The downside risks and costs of every approach are real, frightening and depressing, no matter how little one thinks of reopening right now. These facts may not be evident from the least thoughtful proponents of reopening, many of whom advance arguments that are uninformed, dismissive of experts, or callous. But the warnings of thoughtful shutdown skeptics warrant careful study, not stigma rooted in the false pretense that they don't have any plausible concerns or value for human life. So they're (laughs) meaning we actually care about feelings. Yeah. (laughs) So they're saying that, you know, this might not be... You know, don't take all of the people who are saying that we should reopen seriously, but you should think, you know, be thoughtful about shutdown skeptics that are actually talking about saving human life over time. You know, you should think about them. I've really heard of a lot of people who have been saying we need to reopen because I think overall more people will be dead in the long term from it. Pretty much everyone I've heard has said that we can't handle an economic shutdown because all of the money that we use to fund welfare, to fund public schooling, to fund all of these things, all of that money is gone if we shut everything down. You don't just magically have more money to pull from. It doesn't exist. We're already 24 trillion, probably 27 trillion. I haven't even looked at the thing. 27, 28 trillion in debt after this year, after all the deficits. Thomas Massey estimates 40 trillion. It's all that. Like literally going to double the debt. Yeah. Insane. Insanity. And so it's like, what do you, what do you do with all this? Like I mentioned, we have been talking about this for weeks and it doesn't mean as we've said so many times that we don't care about people dying from coronavirus. Listen, for the millionth time we're against (laughs) death, all shapes, forms, sizes, creeds, races, death of anything is terrible. I don't even like when plants die. I don't, I don't either. Yeah. You tear down a tree. I feel bad for the tree. But you do but the maybe math. there was a better reason for it, you know? <laughs> I'm against death in all cases. But at some point, you have to do the math. 
as you, Nate would say, which is tough for most people to do. I understand. You got to do the math and figure out if we keep the economy closed, what money do we have left over to buy the things necessary to fight off a, a, a tyrannical evil virus? Yeah. Nothing. You know, it's like uh, we should shut down the economy until we return to the numbers of the 1850s <laughs> where 98% of the world lives in poverty and we'll have all the medical advances of the 1850s. There you go. And then we won't have as many coronavirus deaths. No, we won't. Problem solved. Yeah. We'll like there's to. there's a line where this is a bad idea. Yeah. There is. And we have to discuss what that line is. If we go back to the economy of the 1850s and 100 million people die in the US, it's going to be pretty darn obvious that we didn't save lives. And unfortunately, I don't want to get all the way to that point for it to be so obvious that it was a terrible idea. Yeah. That's what I'm saying. I don't want to get all the way to that point. And people are going to do this math on their own, by the way. People want to go, people want to reopen. They say that, you know, a lot of people say they don't want to. I think everyone says that they understand the safety concerns and everything, but they say that while they're also going out and doing stuff every single night. Like when I go to a restaurant or something right now, or I go out to the store, the thing, they're packed. All the people who want social distancing and want everyone to be locked down, like to talk about how everything should be locked down as long as they still get to go do their stuff. Mm-hmm. Like that's that's a really important thing. By the way, have you noticed the shorter hours for for stores that have. have been going on? Mm-hmm. Can we talk about this for one second? The idea here's the idea: you're going to close the grocery store at 6 p.m. That way, you decrease the amount of time that people are going to spend around other people, and you save people. But yeah. what what ends up happening? Everyone who is going to go for between 6 p.m. and 10 p.m. I'll get there before I'll 6 get there PM. before six. So, so now you're you're making a shorter time frame for the same amount of people. Exactly. So now you got more people in a close proximity. That's this kind of stupid crap I've you been. You should seeing. actually make longer hours. I know that it, I was. You should extend it. I was talking to my wife about this this weekend because we tried to go to Walmart and they closed at eight p.m. I saw that because we were going to do the same thing at like ten o'clock the other and night. And I was like, if you want to decrease the amount of people that are around other people, they need to be increasing hours. All the stores need to be twenty-four hour. The grocery stores everywhere, CVS, all of them, they all need to be twenty-four hour places. So there's less people because the same people are going to need to get stuff, whether you close at six or eight or midnight or you never close. Either you needed groceries or you didn't need groceries. And so if a thousand people need groceries in my neighbor in my little neighborhood. And there's a Publix right there and they close at six. Then a thousand people are going to try and squeeze in the grocery store before 6 p.m. when they close. If they stay open until 10 like they used to, then a thousand people are going to squeeze in the grocery store before 10 o'clock. And there's going to be less people crowded around each other while they're in the store. It's this kind of, you know, that's almost like a virtue signaling piece of crap that just drives me insane because they get to act like they're doing something, but it's actually making the problem worse. You're putting more people grouped around each other. It's insane. Like you go to Home Depot, you got to stand in a corral with a hundred people to wait to go into the store and they've got all these fences and stuff put up around everywhere. I have never been so close to so many people in Home Depot than since this thing started. Used to, I used to go in there and it, it was just this big wide open warehouse store that you'd hardly ever be around anyone. Now I feel like I'm grouped around 50 people to go into the store and to go around the store because of all the safety precautions they put in everywhere. It's insane. You're just trying to get reimbursed for all that lumber. I'm just, I'm just trying. <laughs> <laughs> and 
the state, you know, you got to bring it up a fact over fictions and the state hasn't reimbursed you for it. They even took my boat. They took a whole room edition. They took the whole room edition. (laughs) All right, guys. So, you know, one thing too. So my kids, um, Parker, he's three and he's at an early learning center. It's a school slash daycare. Now they haven't closed down the entire time. They haven't been allowed to stay open. Now we pulled him out whenever my family at my house, we had fevers. And so I'm like, okay, this is probably unethical. I'm going to take the personal responsibility. We don't know what we have. We can't get tested. We got tested too late. I waited for our sickness in our house to subside, which took about three to four weeks. And then after that took place, I've been taking him back to daycare every day because I've got a lot of work to do. And you know, what's crazy is they haven't shut down. No one, they check your temperature on the way in. All the teachers are still working there. One of them's pregnant. They're all still working there. They've lost, I think, like a third of the kids, but most everybody's going there. No problems, no issues. It's at a daycare. And it's like you see these types of things happening. You mentioned Home Depot. Every time we go to Walmart, it's completely packed. Mm-hmm. And I hate going there anyway. We tried to go to Target the other night. Same thing. They closed at like seven. And it's like, what, what are we actually doing to help? Is social distance actually working? I would argue the the contrary. I think they're actually making, making it all worse. You're making it worse. You know, in our town, I, I haven't really seen a shutdown. The traffic seems to be about the same. People are out golfing. People are shopping. They're doing normal type things, except, you Notice know. That's what Charlie noticed hadn't changed, is that everyone's still out golfing. Well, yeah. He, he tried to go have a nice social distance golf game, and everyone was like, you know, you had the show. I had a couple times. Yeah, <laughs> I've gone golfing. I love golfing. It's just, it's, it's unbelievable to me. It's like, okay. And then you were talking about how in Home Depot, you're corralled with like these hundred people. They don't start the six foot rule until you get up to the cashier. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> then make sure you stay six feet apart behind each other. But Except it's like, for when you exchange the card, which I've had to hand my card through a plexiglass wall to someone who wasn't wearing gloves like a hundred times. Or they now. are wearing gloves and they never change them. So yeah. it doesn't matter. It's like, what? What is the difference? But, you know, they're putting up like the plexiglass and like they're wearing masks and stuff. And so you're preventing people from spitting on each other and those types of things, which which will helps in spreading a virus around. Like if I'm going to cough and you've got a plexiglass window up, the likelihood of my cough reaching your face is a lo- vastly reduced. It's a lot lower. Right. Yeah. And so those things aren't bad things to do. It's like you could reopen the economy and take as a business some more precautions and be just fine with all of that. The problem where I see this being an issue is where it gives people a false sense of security and they decide that, well, since I have gloves or a mask or a plexiglass window, I don't need to take any of the actual responsibility cautions of not touching my face or washing my hands more regularly. Well, I've got this plexiglass right here. I've got I've got this. I could see a lot of people slacking off on the actual important things because they feel like, well, I wore a mask in my car on the way to Home Depot, so I don't really need to worry about anything. You know, and so so you end up losing that, I don't know, well, you think there's no risk, and so you're not actually taking the precautions that need to be taken. Just I wonder I when they got the AC on, are they doing the circulation AC from inside the car? Are they bringing in outside air? Yeah. <laughs> Maurice <laughs> says, it's only a line, not a radius. Well, you know, a lot of people, they miss the part of math class where you have a compass. I don't know if you guys remember those, yeah. those evil, com- those things were so sharp. Oh, yeah. Man. You'd like, you could poke a hole through the paper. I used to see how many pages in my book I could push it through. <laughs> it's, it's like a lawn dart. Yeah. That thing is so sharp. 
Uh, but it's just uh, this whole thing. As And what I've told you guys from the beginning is just pay attention. Pay attention to what happens. And you'll notice that the models were wrong. The dire, you know, pandemic, everyone's going to die is wrong. Those were wrong. The plans to reopen have been wrong. The social distancing working has been wrong. Your liberties have been stripped. All of this stuff has been wrong. I've just been telling you guys, pay attention. That's the number one thing. Take it seriously. Take some personal responsibility. If you have a fever for a month, you should probably shouldn't go out, but that's anytime you get sick, you know, you take personal responsibility not to get other people sick, you know, and it's like, sure, we're going to have some old people die just like old people die from the flu and that sucks and it's terrible, but every single thing that we have done has only made matters worse. And I think, you know, Stapleton talked about this on Friday, which I think was important. You know, we talk a lot about the stock market and understanding what's going on in, in the financial markets. But one thing that's so interesting to me is how the stock market is kind of laissez-faire almost. It had that giant drop-off. The NASDAQ is now up a percent on the year, actually. Yeah. And the S&P is still down around 15%, and the Dow's around down around 18%, 19%, somewhere around there. But largely, it, it's made a, about a 30% recovery from its, from its drop. Uh, hasn't made all the gains back, obviously, but then it's kind of just hovering around here. It's The Dow's hanging out between 20 and 25,000 points, just kind of back and forth, you know, really 22 to 25,000, just floating around all the while unemployment numbers keep going up and up and up and up and up. And you have to wonder like, what the hell's going on? Well, I, I was reading reports today and you know, a lot of people think that we have, as we mentioned before, maybe we haven't seen the bottom and there could be another 50 to 70% decline as soon as, as this unemployment starts to roll out, as you start to see housing prices become stagnant or even decline. You start to see people who are unemployed default on their mortgages. You start to see a financial, the financial crisis like we did in 08, which hasn't happened yet. And, but who knows? I mean, the federal reserve is like, we're not gonna let anybody fail. So maybe they'll just introduce a hundred trillion dollars worth of liquidity. Who knows? I, I think we, I think, um, short term it's, it's possible things will look okay. I think this is going to have really bad long-term consequences for, oh, sure, for sure. Years down the road. Short term, it could bounce back pretty quickly because we talked about it a couple months ago. This this economic collapse, all the businesses, all their stock prices declining. It's on. It's not as if all of these businesses were failures and they all went bankrupt. They've all been forcefully held to not conduct business. So I think at the time that those floodgates reopen and everyone's back out producing and spending and doing all the all those things. You could see a quick bounce back, but people aren't going to do that. False, it's a false, you know, it's a sell-off, but it's not like 08 where there was no, you know, the, there was no reason for the housing market to be at those prices. When do you, those okay, businesses let me ask, have failed because they've been forcefully held out from doing business? Is me, what I'm saying. Let me ask you this: How long is it going to take before you see flights that are no longer empty? Well, they're no, at full capacity. That's where I say I think there's going to be really bad long-term consequences. Right. Restaurants are going restaurants have a hard enough time staying afloat when it's 100% capacity all the time. 25% capacity they're is as saying, good as bankrupt. They're already saying that there's no point to reopen at 25%. Yeah, there you lose money. You can't you're going to have the same expenses. You got to have the same you know, maybe some less servers, but you don't really have to pay servers anyway. So they're not really going to save any money. They'll have the same labor costs, but they'll have 25% or 50% restaurants can't stay open like that. So yeah, I do think there'll be 
long-term things, what I am saying is a lot of these companies, I think, will bounce back because the crash was a no-income crash, and now there's going to be some income. I think we could we could get this bounce back. Maybe we're inside of the bounce back right now. And yeah, we said a couple of weeks ago, you might see 13,000 out of the Dow still before this is all over. Something like that. So be interesting. We'll see. It'll we'll be- see if we're right. You know, we can call it on all sides, and we'll pull the clip of us saying that it was going to do that, <laughs> and then and then we'll, then we were right. The, statistic, the statistical likelihood that we would be right would be near a hundred percent. Yeah, I think the Dow yeah. could go back to all time highs. I think the Dow's about to reach the lows we've never seen before, and now I can cut either one of those later on, and we were right. By the way, <laughs> we were just completely right. You just talk out side of both sides of your ears. You do the math. You know the thing. You know, you know the thing. Guys, All I mentioned. All men and women created by go, you know the you know the thing. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. Guys, I mentioned at the beginning of the show this contest that we're running. So if you're still hanging out with us, which you are, because most of you listen all the way through. We can see those numbers, by the way. So thank you for doing that. We forgot to mention to subscribe. So I'm going to mention that now. Subscribe to the show. That's step number one. Step number two, this contest, the Good Morning Liberty podcast is giving away $500 in economic stimulus because we believe in giving cash straight to the people. (laughs) (laughs) Voluntarily. Voluntarily. Real money. Yeah, it's real money voluntarily. Um, So anyway, it is is a, a contest that we're doing. And I'm asking a big ask for you to be one of the first 100 people to leave us a rating and review on iTunes for the podcast. There's only about 30 spots left to be able to do that. And so if you guys get in there and do that, I'm going to give you five bonus entries into this contest where we're going to give away as soon as we reach that, and we're going to unlock the contest to give away $500 cash, cold, hard cash. Um, more than likely it'll be just like be digits transferred, you know, over the, the airwaves, not like physical cash. Yeah. We're not going to meet up in a parking lot or anything. No, no. Okay. But uh, it'll probably be like a PayPal type of transfer, something yeah. like that, to friends and family. There's, there's no fees. <laughs> you know, we don't want those rich people making a cut <laughs> off of that. <laughs> Elon Musk's no, buddies. <laughs> but anyway, no, seriously, we're going to unlock the contest, and it'll be um, it'll be a lot of fun. And then also you're going to win a lifetime free subscription to Master My Trades, which is our trading, the Liberty Trading Academy, where we teach you guys all about the stock market, how to read charts, the very basics, risk management, psychology of trading, all of that, uh, which you want to get into. We have a, a nice full class, a lot of people learning a lot of cool things, people asking questions. We go live once a week, so you can get on that for free. You can turn that 500 into whatever you want to, um, or you can spend it on whatever you want to. You don't have to invest it in trading, but you are going to get a lifetime free uh, subscription to that, and so it's worth it's weight in gold and it's heavy. Yeah. <laughs> this, this is a heavy contest. Mm, good. So be one of the first hundred people. There's only 30 spots left to leave a rating and review. Obviously once we reach a hundred, you can still leave one. Uh, you're just not going to get the five bonus entries. And then uh, we are going to announce um, how you enter the contest. And so uh, we're really excited about that. If you guys do that also uh, another way of supporting this show, get in on this live group. We have lots of fun. Um, Constantly when Nate was talking, I was catching up on the live feed. It's just absolutely hilarious. Uh, these guys, mostly guys in here, they're all great. And so you want to get in on that. There's pre-show, there's post-show, there's all kinds of stuff you don't want to miss out on. That's patreon.com slash Liberty for as little as five bucks a month. That's nothing. It's, Even in a declining economy, it's nothing. It's nothing. Yeah. You could. We might need to raise the price. Maybe. Depending on how much money the Fed injects. 
inflation for our Patreon, you know? Yeah, we'll do an inflation Get tax. in now. It's going to be $7 next year, guys. We'll do an inflation tax on it. There you go. Yeah, we'll, and we'll put that as a line item. Yeah. <laughs> it's $5 plus inflation. So it's not our fault. Plus it's not our fault that it became seven. Baseline is five. Yeah. You guys. We only charge five. Yeah. Yeah. It's the, the Fed that's doing the surcharge. <laughs> so anyway, patreon.com slash good morning liberty. I don't I don't know if I have any other way to follow that up other than saying thank you guys so much for hanging out with us. We really appreciate it. Uh, we hang out with these guys on Patreon every single day. What about so people sharing the show? Sharing the show. People are are just really really doing the work i've i have talked to so many communist uncles lately about how they were like hey i used to be a communist uncle now i'm a libertarian communist uncle and that's just the way that we want to slowly convert people over time so keep telling people to check out this show tell your friends tell your family tell your brother your sister tell everyone about it okay we're going to be doing this every single day of the week when we want to if you guys do all of that then we'll be right back here again tomorrow until then Have a good day and a good morning, Liberty.